welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. I'm going to ask um, that while you're turning there, I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. We've read these for weeks, months. It sometimes feels like years in this series, but we're going to go through them. And in highway shall be there and away. Everybody say and away. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. So the Bible says there is a way. And there is a way called holiness. I want to get on that way. Amen. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. I'm going to say this. I know in that scripture, oftentimes in the church, we hit that latter part about holiness. But I have come to learn you cannot have peace without holiness. And you cannot have holiness without peace. That's like trying to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without one of the two main ingredients, amen? And so you, you got to get both of them in there, praise God. That goes without saying, amen? Uh, finally, Romans 12 and 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your precious anointing that we feel in this place, the strength and the victory that you have given us through your word. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage, that you would uplift, that you would strengthen every person in this house tonight. Give us understanding, give us revelation, give us instruction through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Last week we talked... Um, a, a, a lot about uh, the carnal nature that that brings us uh, towards death. That brings us that current. Remember, we talked about that. That current that brings you uh, to ultimately to perdition, to eternity without God. And so that from the moment you're born, you are born into the current. That if you do nothing else but exist that current will lead you to hell just by nature. Our nature, just by nature, will will do that. So when we are born again, we have to flip and swim against that current. Remember, we talked about that. And we have to swim against that current, amen. And so we talked about how um, Paul wrote, and he said in Romans 8 and uh, 6 through 7, he said that to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. And so we've got to learn to get out of this this carnal way. Now, you're always going to have some level of a carnal way of thinking. I don't want you to misunderstand me and, and to think that there's a level that you can attain in prayer and living for God that you will never be tempted in your flesh again. That didn't even happen to Jesus. I mean, he... Still went. The Bible said he was tempted in all points like as we are. And uh, last week we talked about three important aspects of our, our carnal nature 
that we have to learn to overcome on a daily basis. And uh, there was three specific things. We talked that Jesus overcame in the wilderness um, because Adam and Eve had succumbed to it in the garden. You remember what those three things were? There was the pride of the life. Give yourselves a big hand for that. Man, y'all knew right where I was going. Amen. Some were going three things. What is it? Peanut butter and jelly, squirrels, what? Yeah. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And, and, and I want to give these to you. Uh, I want to remind you of the definitions of them. The lust of the flesh is the desire of the body to satisfy carnal lust in doing things that displease God. The lust of the eye is, the, is that the eyes are the gate through which the world is able to appeal to the carnal lusts of the flesh. I've told this story, and I'm sure I've told it here in years past, and I'm always hesitant to tell the, this story because I, I know that there's a potential for, for somebody to get triggered and, you know, to be offended. So uh, put, down, put down your chip off your shoulder right now and don't be so overly spiritual that this is going to trigger offense, okay? Because I'm going to talk about the reality of our flesh. You are never going to overcome your flesh wanting to do fleshly things. The Buddhist monks tried all the time. They tried to reach a place of meditation where they don't eat anymore. Yeah, and, and I was reading a while back, excuse me, about a monk that had reached meditation and had been in a state of meditation, they said, for like 230 years, Brother Chase, and they showed a picture of him. It was a mummified dead monk, but they believe he's still alive. And they're like, well, it should be easy to just go with a stethoscope and they say, no, we can't touch him because if we might break his trance. And I'm thinking... It seems to be world news to me. If I were a Buddhist, I'd say, wake him up. Prove that it's real. Uh, but you're, you're never going to overcome that because there are things that are in your nature that you are going to have to battle with every day of your life. That's why living for God is a fight in a sense because, and it's not a devil fight. It's a, it's a me fight. I'm fighting me more than I'm fighting any devil. Amen. And, uh, and, and so you got to learn that there's things you're going to fight with that you will conquer them to a degree, but you will have to conquer them daily. <clears throat> That's why Paul said, I die daily. Jesus said, if you want to follow me first, we always say, he said, just take up your cross. But the first thing he said was deny yourself. That is the missing element of modern day Christianity is self-denial. I know that's not popular, but it's self-denial. We want, we want self-aggrandizement. We want self-worship. But Jesus said, if you follow me, the first thing you do is deny self. The second thing is you take up your cross and follow me. <clears throat> because you can't follow me with your cross unless you've already surrendered your will to my will. So it's a daily thing that we do. So I'm going to tell this story now. Having said that, there are some aspects that we're going to fight with and have to put on the altar every day. Uh, some years ago, there was a, and I've been, and this story has been verified by multiple people that were there. And I'm telling this because I think it's hilarious because it just goes to show that we're all human. <clears throat> and there was a large meeting of uh, young ministers and they were meeting with a, one of our 
one of our pastors, he's going, bishops going on to be the Lord, and I'm not going to say his name uh, just because it's, it's not even relevant, but he is, was, was a legend in our movement, had um, um, been a district superintendent, I think of two districts, started many churches, just a great man of God. And so that he was teaching this young minister seminar, and there was 100, 150 plus young ministers in there. And then at the end of it, they had a Q&A session. And sometimes it's risky to have a Q&A session. And so it got down to this one young man, probably in his early 20s, and he stood up, grabbed the mic, and he said, Bishop, I've got a question for you. It's a little uncomfortable to ask it, but I do have a question. At what age do you get when you no longer find women attractive? And he said, son, I'm 87 years old. You're going to have to ask somebody a whole lot older than me. (laughs) The point of that is, (laughs) the point of that, so I can pray and I won't find people attracted. You're lying. Not possible. God put that in you. So if you get married, that's what God put that in there for. Procreation, amen? Now, some people don't struggle with it as much as others, but that's why it's a stronger issue with men in general than it is with women. And when I heard that, I fell out laughing because I thought, thank God he had the transparency enough to not try to you know, push the question to the side and act like he just walks with his feet, not touching the ground, because we are all going to have to die daily and surrender. I don't know what your cross is. Your cross is different than my cross. My cross is different than your cross. But we all share in common carnal battles that we're going to have to fight, but each one of us have unique carnal battles that we're going to have to fight, meaning there's appetite that we're going to have to fight. And by appetite, I mean don't feed it. I'm not saying don't ever eat again. I'm saying don't feed that carnal appetite. Amen. And, and, and listen, can I say something that um, I, I, at risk of being taken out of context, I think, I think from time to time you should deny yourself things that your body wants that is of no harm to you. It's called fasting. I, I, think, I think that is a, a, a good thing. How many remember... Um, uh, the missionaries that went to India, they were here at Awaken a couple years ago, the, the Patrick, it was the Patricks? Millers, Patrick Miller. Remember how when uh, they were pastoring in Bogalusa, Louisiana, their son made a commitment to the Lord and he said, I will not eat meat again until I am able to make a disciple. And he went nine months, and we're talking about a teenage boy without eating meat. Now I'm gonna tell you, being a man, that's tough. Being a Southerner, I don't know where you go to not eat meat. I mean, you just walk in and say, just take the batter and the butter and just fry it. Because, I mean, I don't know how you not eat meat. And he went almost a year until five, maybe it was longer than a year. He told this story to me, and I think he told it to the church. And he said his son went a year or more without eating meat because he consecrated that to the Lord and said, until I'm able to make a disciple and see them baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm not going to eat meat. And then he got a Bible study in his high school, 
And that person got baptized and everybody got excited and said, well, he's now going to be, we're going to go to McDonald's. And he said, no, no, my commitment was they get baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. And after, it took like two months after he was baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. And then when he got it, they said he went home and at night they got home and he had the, uh, the grill going and he had piles of hamburger meat, you know, and he was getting ready. So I, I, I think I think in all of our modern interpretations of the Bible, not to say they're all wrong, I think that one thing that we are missing as Christians is self-denial. And we live in excess, in excess too much, that, that we, don't, we don't deny ourselves enough. From time to time, deny yourself that craving just to keep your flesh in check. Say, you're, you're not in charge of me. And whatever area of your life um, that that may be. So we talked about those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. And, and then we talked about how Adam and Eve fell in the garden and they fell uh, by those same three things, which was the initial fall of man. It wasn't one act that caused man to fall. It was a precipitous thing uh, because God said, don't eat of it. That you can eat anything, but you can't eat that. And that was the lust of the flesh, desiring that thing that they could not have. And then the lust of the eye was that the Bible said she looked at it and saw that it was good, that it, and it tempted her. So she, she, was, she kept looking at it. And then thirdly was the pride of life because she said, if I eat it, I'm going to be like God and I'll have all knowledge. And so that was the fall. So when the second Adam, Christ, comes along, he defeats the same three principal things of our carnality that cause us to fall. His Garden of Eden was in the wilderness temptation when Satan appears to him, not as a snake, as he did the first time. And remember, we broke this down. Uh, if you remember, we broke it down to like three animals. Remember, the, 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 the lust of the flesh was the pit bull, right? Deadly. If it gets a hold of you, it can be deadly. And then the lust of the eye was the grizzly bear, right? Both deadly, one more severe and swift than the other. And then finally, the pride of life, we liken it unto a, unto a serpent or a snake. And so when Satan shows up in the wilderness to tempt Christ, he uses the same three temptations. Make these stones bread, lust of the flesh, to crave, that carnal craving of something, to use his powers to do something selfish. Secondly was the lust of the eye. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Remember that? And the Bible said he showed Jesus the glory of them. He showed him the glory of Hollywood. He showed him the glory of, of Silicon Valley. He showed him the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. And he resisted it. And so he overcame the lust of the eye. And then finally, Satan says, throw yourself down from the temple and the Lord will send angels to bear you up lest you would dash your foot against a stone. And that was the pride of life that, that he would be able to exalt himself. And so Jesus overcame those temptations that brought down the first Adam. The second Adam overcame it. Amen. And so we have to use that example as to how we are going to overcome the flesh. And that is by using the word of God. Amen. Because Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness by saying, it is written. Adam and Eve could have defeated the serpent if they would have used the same tactic. 
Instead of saying it was written because it wasn't, he could have said it is spoken. But they didn't. They relied on their own carnality. Amen. And so that, that brings us uh, to where we are right now, uh, separation from the world. And, and so we talked about this, um, and this segues us in, into here we are now, where we left off in Luke 9, uh, 62, where Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. We were talking about being conformed to the world. And so in our not being conformed to the world, now we step out and we talk about separation from the world. Amen. Now, there is no fellowship between light and darkness. That's what the Bible says. What fellowship have light with darkness? There is no fellowship with light and darkness. When the light is turned on, darkness disappears. When the light is turned off, darkness manifests. You can't have light and dark at the same time. They don't mix. In the same sense, the church is the light. What Jesus said, you're the light of the world, and the world is darkness. And there must be a clear distinction between the church and the world because you cannot mix light and dark just like you cannot mix the church and the world. There must be a line of demarcation between what is righteous and what is unrighteous. What is right, what is wrong. What is unholy and what is holy. Amen? What is just, what is unjust. What is lost, what is saved. We have to draw that line based upon the word of God that there must be a distinction. Amen? Now, Paul would write about this to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 17 through 18. And Paul himself is writing this to this, this church that, that was ingrained their whole life into paganism and idolatry. And he says, quoting the Old Testament, because for all those people that say, well, the Old Testament was just for the, that's not for the New Testament believers. We don't have to pay attention to any of that. Paul kept quoting the Old Testament for us. Matter of fact, he would say earlier in, to the Corinthians, he would say, for everything that was written aforetime was given to us for examples. And so then he says to them, quoting the Old Testament says, wherefore, come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you unto, and I will receive you. Now listen, he said, don't touch the unclean thing. In the garden, he told Adam, don't eat, if I could say it like this, the unclean thing, the forbidden fruit. Adam comes along and tells Eve, don't touch the unclean thing. God backs up Adam's standard later and says, don't touch the unclean thing. Don't handle it. And I will receive you. That lets me know and this isn't semantics. God says, if you will separate yourself, right? You'll se come out from among them, be you separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, I will receive you. By virtue of saying it like that, now I want you to flip it. What would it mean? If you touch not the unclean thing, he says, I will what? 
So that must mean if I touch the unclean thing, he won't receive me. He'll reject me, right? Well, Christ won't reject anybody. He reserves that right when we handle unrighteousness. Amen? And, and, and I'm not, you know, I think you understand what I'm saying. I'm not literally saying something tangible. God, I, I, I think you understand what I'm talking about. Those things that are unrighteous. And, and then he says, I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The promise of being received by God and becoming his sons and daughters, listen to this, is completely conditional upon our separation from the world. Man, because there's a difference between being separate from the world and the world being separate from you. Separated unto God and separate from the world. Those are two things that have to happen. I have to separate myself unto God, and in doing so, I have to separate myself from the world or vice versa. Remember, it took God just one night to get Israel out of Egypt, just one night, but it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And so our walk with God is the constant process of getting Egypt out of our life getting the world out of our heart and out of our life, learning how to live different, learning how to create uh, godly appetites and habits in our life. Boy, I'm telling you, this is, it's like speaking Greek to, to, to most modern Christians. It, this would, you, I guarantee you, if in a megachurch they got up and, and taught a lesson like this, 99% of them wouldn't come back. And the 1% that would stay would probably be the staff. Because nobody wants to hear this. We want, we want to hear, and let's be honest, our flesh wants to hear, don't worry about any of that stuff. Just love Jesus and, you know, do good and you'll be fine. There's more to it than that as believers. I don't want to be deceived. I want to make heaven my destination. And, and, and the only way I can do that is by abiding in his word. So I've got to come out from the world and be separate from the world. God's plan for his people is to take them out of the world and to remove the world from them. That's God's, God's plan, is that separation. And it's not, just, it's not just being different to be different. It's being as the word of God wants us to be. Amen. You know, it's amazing. I've been teaching this since, what, April? something like that, since April. And it, it's just, it's amazing that I can spend this many months talking on the subject of holiness and not one time so far have I touched on a standard. You want to know why? Because we've got to get the concept and the principle of living separate from the world inside of us. And understand, this is what God's word, God's word demands of us. Amen. Eternity is a little too long for me to stand before God and go, I didn't think you meant that. I'm, I'm not so sure. You see, this is the pride of life. The pride of life says, I know better than God. 
or I'm exempt from God's word. You know, the danger of the whole pride movement. I mean, of all the things you're going to call it, that's what you call it, the pride movement? The Bible says pride goes before destruction. Think of a lot of things I would rather call it than that if I were on that side of the fence. Amen. Because what does pride says, I know more than God. Let me prove it. They prove it, Pastor. I'll prove it. Because they will say, well, God created you a woman, but you say God was wrong and you're actually a man. You're exalting yourself above God who created us and saying God made a mistake. And when we do that, that's the pride of life. I know more than God does. And so we have to humble ourselves to the word of God. Can you say amen? Is this all right so far? Amen. And so separation from the world brings victory in power, and it brings the joy of the Lord in a life of a believer when they start learning this concept, I am no longer my own. I belong to him. Amen. I, I, I have been reborn. I'm a part of a different family now. I'm a part of the family of God. Amen. And, and so I, I don't, he has purchased me. Amen. He's purchased me with his blood. So, so I, am, I am no longer my own. His life and testimony Amen. Those who have a genuine testimony of overcoming the world will have an effect on, on people that know you when you are able to overcome the world and, and understand that we're not to be conformed to the world or that we are to be separate from the world. Amen. And so the promise is if we do that, we become his sons and daughters. And uh, I, before I get to that, Trying to catch up with my notes here. If, if we're going to become God's sons and daughters, we cannot, we cannot live in the identity we had before him. You know, um, we talked about the, and by the way, this is going to be a huge part going forward, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. We've got to learn to allow the Holy Ghost to change appetites in our life. Because if you say, but I've been praying for it and it hadn't happened, check your habits. Check your habits. Check your habits. Are your habits conducive for God's spirit to put a healthy appetite in you? So well, where does the word of God say that he's going to change my appetite? Well, this is what Jesus said. Ask of me and I shall give you the desires of your heart. He wasn't praying about a new, he wasn't talking about a Rolex. He wasn't talking about, you know, a Bentley or, or 5,000 square foot mansion on 10 acres of land. All of the aforementioned would be nice to have. But that's not what he was saying pray about. He said, pray, ask of me, and I will give you the desires of me. In other words, the Bible has already declared that our heart is deceitfully wicked. So now we need to ask God, Give me new desires. And through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that, that when we're born again, the Bible likened unto the circumcision of the heart. And so we make a covenant in our heart. The circumcision of the Old Testament was a covenant of the flesh toward God. 
Now, when we are born again, we make a covenant in our heart toward the Lord, just as the Jews did in the flesh. And when we make that covenant, now we're saying, Lord, you have control over my life and over my heart. My heart is deceitfully wicked. I'm giving it to you, Lord. I'm consecrating it to you. So now I'm going to get in your word. And listen, if, um, uh, and I, of course, I'm not talking to anybody right now. There's not anybody in this room. This is people on the podcast, you know, people that kind of sneak peek in through the window of, of the church. So I know I'm not talking to anybody here, but for lazy Christians, this is very difficult. Because if you don't read your Bible daily, and if you don't pray daily, what I'm speaking to you right now is I'm I'm talking like the teacher in Peanuts. Everything I'm saying is just noise. I'm talking about living separate living crucified, living separated from the world, having God put desire in your, change the appetite of your heart or implant his desire in your heart. And, and while I'm saying that, you're going, it's, it's just wah, 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 wah. Be, because to those people, of course, not anybody in this room, to those people, living for God consists of Sunday at 2 p.m., Wednesday 7 p.m. And we, they have built their relationship with God around a building rather than an altar. And where we miss it is, we think that if we're okay here, it doesn't matter how we are out there. Because our relationship with God ought not peak here. It should peak out there. This ought not be, for lack of a better term, this ought not be the climax of our walk with God here. This ought to be the foundational stones that we help build to build our walk with God upon. This isn't the end-all, be-all. This is just, this is part of it. Living for God doesn't happen in here. Happens out. Anybody can live for God in here. You can't live for God in here. You don't want to live for God. This is, of course, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to other people that are listening in right now. They're peeking through the windows and they're hiding in the attic. I don't know how. There's not a lot of room up there and it's probably hot. But I, anybody can live for God here. This is an amazing church family. We, we, you know, we love one another. We, we love one another despite our differences and our shortcomings and, and, and personality flaws and, and, and character misgivings and all of this. We have all these issues in here, yet we can come in here and worship, and there's unity, and there's love, and you don't believe it, be here on the 242. So anybody can live for God here. This is the easy part. Now, I know sometimes getting here is not easy, but when you're here, this is the easy part. This is supposed to be our strengthening, strengthen one another. This is supposed to be our lifting. If you see a brother overtaken in a fall, you that are spiritual, restore such a one. This is where we can, and by the way, I, I cannot, again, I'm not talking to anybody here, so don't take this personal. I can't wait till we get to the point where there is groups meeting throughout the week, just having dinner at the home, having prayer meeting in their home, going through Bible studies in their home, doing, and I know some of you are now, but I'm talking about the whole shebang, right? 
daily. There's just appetite. We just got to be together. We got, and, and, and the Bible says the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more we need to be together. But ain't it funny how the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, it seems to be a fight within our flesh to just stay connected to the church. We got more avenues to stay connected, and yet we're further apart. And again, I know I'm not talking. I'm talking to other churches now. I mean, we've got Facebook, Instagram, email, text, Snapchat. Uh, we've got website. What else? We got telephones. We got carrier pigeons. We got uh, Western Union telegrams. We've got everything, right? And, and you know what's amazing is is when people come to me and say. Pastor, I just don't feel connected in this church. It, it's stunning to me because I'm thinking, you're not trying. <laughs> it's funny. I'll talk to brother and sister guy because I know they know what I'm talking about. You know, it's funny. You know, people and y'all been around. You've been in. Y'all served the Lord for a few years because I know you can't be old enough to have served Him many years, right? <laughs> But you've been there. I hope this don't squeal if I step down. Uh, but, but isn't it amazing? And you've probably been around long enough. See, I know you've been around long enough. See, that the people that complain the most about the church not connecting to them are typically the rudest people. It's like trying to pet a crocodile. You don't, you don't know whether you want to or not. He says, Oh, God bless you. It's good to see you. Well, finally, you talked to me. You have, you've seen me for three months, and you haven't said, why do you want to talk to me now? All right, Leviathan, go back under the water. <laughs> I got spirit of Leviathan in them. They're a crocodile. Or if you believe it's a fire-breathing dragon, whatever you want to believe. You, you never know. You never know if you say hi to somebody, if they're going to bite your head off. Or if they're going to become, you know, a Hoover, vacuum cleaner and just suck the joy of the Lord right out of you. God bless you. So good to see you. I'm just horrible. I'm, everything's bad. I thought if I could have killed myself seven ways today, I'd have done it nine. Everything's just awful. Right? And then they'll come to you and say, I just don't feel like I'm connected. Nobody loves me. I, I, I remember having one person I could say because they don't come here. Actually, let me back up. This is a parable, what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> and it's probably one of these that snoop in on, on our podcast, too. <laughs> Called me and, and got mad. Said, Pastor, I've missed two services. And nobody's called me from the church to say they missed me. Mm. I said, well, let me ask you something. I almost said what gender they were. I said, let me, t let me ask you something, they, them. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal the gender. <laughs> I said, when other people miss, do you ever call them? Well, I, I, you know what, Pastor? I get busy, and I can't call everybody. I said, well, hold on, hold on, hold on just a second. Now, and this was when we were a quarter of the size that we are now. And I said, you, you mean to tell me you're going to get your feathers all ruffled and swell up like an old bullfrog 
because nobody called you when you missed two services, but you haven't had the decency to call anybody else when they've missed a service. And they said, well, of course, it's always different from them. Their excuses are valid. Well, I was cleaning my toenails or whatever. And it's in the same one. I quit trying to figure it out because you know he's looking at me with this grin. He's looking at me with this grin. And and then the the next day called me and get uh, get mad and said, Pastor, I just had a call to I'm offended. And I thought, as soon as my phone rang, I knew you were offended. You only call me when you're offended. You never call to say, hey, I prayed for you today, pastor. I, I love you, pastor. I thank God for my church, pastor. Not, you, anytime you call me, you're about to vomit, vo- bleh, just vomit on me your whole life. But I didn't say that. I'm a pastor. I'm offended. And that's, well, how can I help you? What, how, how can I help you? What is it? Well, pastor, you've been advertising this revival with Brother Clark for a month, and you have never called me and asked if I was going to be in attendance. Got offended. <laughs> Look, the ministry is wonderful. Don't think this is all it is. It, it is a blessing to be in the ministry. <laughs> But every, one, every once in a while, okay? I don't want some of y'all thinking, man, how, how's pastor not in the loony bin? Hey, I'm going to tell you. You know, it's like the old song said, mama said there'd be days like this. Sometimes there's days like this. But not always. But I, I was totally at a loss. You know, they didn't prepare me for this. Like, what do you say? Pastor, you, you have not one time called and invited me to that revival. I said, you're a member of our church. I, I didn't realize I needed to call a member in the church to invite them to come to church. You see, our carnal nature will get a hold of us and turn us inside out and upside down if we don't crucify our nature on a daily basis and say, I am not going to let you take me down. I'm going to take you down. We've got to pray, Lord, give me the desires. Pray that prayer and mean it sincerely. Listen, here's some homework for you. Pray that prayer every day. Read your Bible. I don't care if you read it for five minutes or an hour. Just read your Bible. If you don't have time to physically read it, put it in your, in your earbuds or in your car. Listen to it on the commute. And then spend some time in prayer that day. And in seven days, you're going to find all of a sudden things that you had an appetite for start becoming unappetizing. And things you didn't like before are going to make your spiritual mouth water. Because his spirit will start changing the appetite of your heart. Your heart's looking for ways not to connect to God, that natural carnal nature. But when it's regenerated and it's submitted to the Lord, all of a sudden you'll find yourself going, man, if I can cut this meeting early, I'll get probably six extra minutes of prayer in. But right now... I'm going, want, 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 to people that don't pray. It's like, who would want to pray? 
Listen, I admit there's days I grab my flesh by the hair and I have to drag it upon the altar and then I have to tie it down because it's squirming on top of the altar. And then I have to plunge in the Holy Ghost dagger a little bit deeper and spin it a few times because my flesh is just too wild. But that's, only, that's not all the time. Then there's other times I wake up and before my feet hit the floor, I just, I can't wait to get into the presence of God. Amen. And so we've got to live, everybody say separate. You've got to conquer that appetite of the flesh. You've got to conquer that. Um, the lust of the flesh is lusting for that thing. The lust of the eye is allowing yourself to focus in on that thing. I, I said this last night, and I, believe it or not, I'm almost done. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to dwell on this for a long time, but we used to have a heavy emphasis on protecting our eyes. And, and I don't mean getting the right prescription, you know, or, or wearing, you know, shatterproof lenses. I mean, we used to have a heavy emphasis. And when I say we, I mean every denomination that you could imagine had a heavy emphasis on, you better be careful what you look at. Because your eyes are a gateway into your heart, into your soul. And we've gotten away from that, by and large. And I'm, I'm trying to tread, tread softly. We've got people just, you know, and we've got people in various stages in their walk with God. But here's the thing that you've got to understand. If it's, if it's against God's word and offends God, if we set it before our eyes, we're going to allow ourselves to begin to get an appetite for that thing. So you've got to be careful what you're, cons what you're consuming. Not, not just what goes in your mouth physically, but what goes in your eyes mentally and spiritually because you'll start developing an appetite for that. Amen? You'll, you'll start, and, and, and it can be things that are innocent, but those things that can draw your attention and your focus away from the plan of God in your life. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing that, I'll give you a perfect example. How many know that, uh, now sometimes I'll get on a, a binge of watching documentaries, right? Like, like I, I get this certain subject in my head, and I, when I mean documentary, I mean literally I'll go in and find lectures uh, from different universities and just watch them because I really will enjoy them. And I mean, when, when I say binge, I mean maybe, maybe an hour out of the day or something. I don't mean like for six weeks I lock myself in a room and a long shaggy beard and, you know, hair. And, but I'll, I'll get into that because it's fascinating me. And, and, and then, I, because I have to be careful what comes in here because it's real easy. In conversation, we're from here. So I feel that, that as a pastor, as a minister, I need to be very careful and scrutinize even further what I allow to come in. But we should do that as Christians. And so what you watch will eventually create appetites. What you read will create appetites. What you listen to will create appetite. Let me, let me give you a, a story as I'm closing here. Um, right toward the, I, I think it may have been in the pandemic. I can't remember the beginning of it. 
my brother called me. And you know my brother, he's great, but he's like really spontaneous. Like if he gets an idea, he's going to do it. He's always asking me every, let's all go on vacation. No, because I know what that vacation is going to be like. We're going to plan to do this. And then right in the middle of it, he's going to go, you know what? 200 miles away is this deal. We need to go. And then everybody's got to go. So I, I, don't, I love him, but I'm not going on vacation with him. He's too spur of the moment. You know, he gets a, he just gets a burr in a saddle and he'll do it. So he calls me and he's like, hey, listen, I know your bucket list on there, you know, the thing you want to do before you die. He said, I know you want, you know, you want to do one of those long trail rides from Colorado to the Canadian Rockies. I, I want to do it. It takes about two months. I'll never do it. I'll never have the time to do it. By the time I get time to do it, I won't be able to. My bones will be too brittle. But I've always thought, that's it. but you can dream, right? Nothing wrong with dreaming. Sometimes I literally dream of riding on a, on a paint and Pasifino and riding, which is a horse, and riding it all the way up from Colorado, the northwest of Colorado, up into the Canadian Rockies. I would love to do that. So he says, you know, since mom died, you and I have been planning on doing a trip. He said, and I've got the perfect trip in mind. He's just building this up. And you love horses. And, and, and he's going on about this deal. And I'm thinking, what in the world are you talking about? And I finally had to stop him and said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I've been checking into it. You know, we can go on. I, and I know you can give to a couple weeks off. Just take a couple weeks away. And, 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 and you know, two days getting there, two days getting home. And I'm, I'm, I finally said, Harold, what are you talking about? He said, I found we can go on the cattle drive. He said, it's two weeks. It's not too expensive. We'll save our money, and we'll go for two. And I'm thinking, we're going to pay somebody to have us push cattle for two weeks? I hated it when they paid me as a teenager to push cattle on a horse. I mean, looking back, it was fun. It was neat. But in my 40s, uh-uh, No. And then I've got to pay these suckers? No way. And he starts talking about, they got a chuck wagon, and they follow behind us, and they cook, and they, their, their cook is phenomenal. I've been watching videos of, of, of him cooking, and, and he started talking about, we'll sleep under the stars. He said, and you pay a little extra, and they'll set your tent up for you. And, and he's, he's just going on about it. He said, two weeks, just me and you, bro. Just me and you will reconnect like we were teenagers. And I thought, I really didn't like you as a teenager. That's what I'm thinking. You know, he was mean sometimes. No, I love him. Don't get me wrong. I love him. My brother is best. But I'm just thinking, he's like, man, we'll just have the greatest time. And he's going on and on about this cattle drive. And we're going to spend two weeks. And we'll be, I think it was in like Utah or somewhere in the Four Corners area. And we're going to push these cattle. And, and I'm thinking, dude, you haven't stuck your leg over a horse in 20 years. You're going to ride for two weeks. You're not going to be able to walk after the first day. And, he, and as he's telling me, he's selling this to me. All of a sudden, I started going, this sounds familiar. I said, Have you been watching that old movie, City Slickers? <laughs> that came out when I was a kid. You know, we saw it. Then he goes, why? Why do you ask? And I said, plot line sounds awfully familiar to me. Guys having a midlife crisis, going to two-week cattle drive. He just got real quiet, and he goes, well, yeah, I have. You know, since... <laughs> 
he said, you know, since COVID, we can't work, and I've just been at home, and yeah, I've been watching a lot. And I, and I said, <laughs> my whole point is this. <laughs> and I said, only if you promise me we find Curly's gold, amen. <laughs> my whole point is this. It's funny how what you let in here can create an appetite in here. Why, why do we have a world going in absolutely insane for living way beyond their means? Way beyond their means. I mean, I, I, I see, please, please don't take this the wrong way. Because I believe if, if you can do it and it's not going to affect, your, you know, if you're a good steward, let me just say, if you're a good steward of your money, I, you know, whatever. Just be faithful to God, be faithful to your family, and take care of your business. But if you can, but you got people working part time at Burger King, buying Louis Vuitton. Are y'all with me? There's nothing wrong with the Louis Vuitton. Nothing wrong with it. But they want it. They want it for status on Instagram. I mean, a, a, a guy working, you know part-time as a detailer at a car wash has a, a, an $11,000 Rolex because it looks good on social media. And it's some, I, I actually saw an article where there's this company where you can rent Rolexes. You buy into a share. You, literally, you can buy into a share of it and you can get it and you can wear it for X amount of time within a year. You get X amount of time to wear this Rolex. I thought, how ridiculous. Why do we do that? Because people are constantly. And they're thinking, well, if they can do it, I can. And then they go into this massive amount of debt. Just trying, as we used to say, keeping up with the Joneses. And they end up, they end up sinking themselves. You know, I just read Brother Chase the other day that the average car payment in the U.S. is over $900 a When I was growing up, that was a massive mortgage payment. I mean, it wasn't long ago where I'm from, $120,000 would buy you a nice home and five acres of land where I'm from. I just saw the new Jeep Grand Wagoneers, $118,000 MSRP. Brother Vincent, it don't even have a Bentley sign on it. It's a Jeep. And I like Jeep. I'm not knocking Jeep, but it ain't worth $120,000. What is it? We get to seeing what everybody else is doing. And we get that appetite. Listen, don't think, don't think you're above being able to allow something to entertain you with things that are against God that it eventually won't get in your heart. I, listen, I am not saying if you watch boxing, you're going to go fight somebody. Hopefully you wouldn't do that. Now, teenage boys will. They watch wrestling, know it's fake, and they'll still try it on each other. But teenage boys are a little brain damaged anyways. I can admit it because I was one. Teenage bo boys. Young men are the reason why when they show something and it says, do not attempt, that's because of us. 
Not because of any woman on this earth. You know, the, the game a few weeks ago in one of the commercials, like a vehicle, you know, going over a jump and it ended up going into space and orbiting the moon and across the bottom it said, uh, professional actors do not attempt. And I thought, who would attempt thinking they could actually jump off a canyon and go orbit the moon? I thought, oh, yeah, I was a teenager once. We would absolutely try that if we thought we could. Yeah. Extra, extra bottle of nitrous? Man, we could probably do this. Right? You've got to be careful what you allow to feed your soul and into your heart. We used to sing, we, we learned a song in, in, in Sunday school as a little kid that if you can learn this, if you can do this, it will help your walk with God. You ready? It's, it's very hard to remember and memorize. It's extremely difficult. It's not repetitive at all. Of course, I'm joking. And it goes like this. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then they'd say, oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. And I'd elbow my friend Jimmy and go, you got big ones. Oh, be careful, satellite dishes, what you hear. For the Father above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth. Some's got big ones to say. For the Father above is looking down in love. Careful, little mouth. That kindergarten Sunday school level nursery rhyme can totally revolutionize your walk with God. If you be careful, little eyes, what you see, little ears, what you hear, little mouth, what you speak. Because what you consume is going to create appetite in you. Going to create appetite in you. For good or for bad. So we've got to make sure we're getting godly appetite in well, pastor, all that Christian stuff, you, it's so boring. It's because your, your spiritual taste is off. Like when somebody tries bluebell ice cream and they say, I don't think, I don't like it so much. Well, something's wrong with your mouth. <laughs> right? You need to cleanse your palate. You know, gargle some bleach or something. That's the best ice cream in the world. Yes, things are going to be unappetizing if what you've been consuming is rot and filth. I'm, I know this is old-fashioned. I, I get it. I, I, I know this is, a, but it's still in the Word of God. We've got to be careful what we consume because it will consume us for good or for bad. We've got to be careful the appetite. I'm talking about the spirit of holiness. I'm talking about the way of holiness. Holiness doesn't start out here. It starts in here. And until you get this in alignment with the Holy God, it's going to be hard to get this right if we don't get this right. Amen. So you've got to be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Be careful what you consume. Be careful with it. I'm, I'm, I'm 43. If I watch enough college football, I would go out in the backyard and throw a football. It just seems fun until I do it a few times. I'm like, man, ooh. You know, if I, if, if 
I watch some of those YouTube videos where they're out driving their truck through the mud and all that stuff. I start thinking, man, I'd like to drive my truck through the mud. I, you know, it, it, I, it, I'm using a very simple way of saying, you can't tell me that you can watch immorality and it not affect your heart. And, and you can't tell, you cannot tell me you can watch movies filled with, with violence and, and promiscuity and adultery and homosexuality and perversion and all, and it not affect your heart. It's impossible. It's going to mess with you at some point. And it's not going to mess with you when you're at church. It's going to mess, you, mess up with you when you are weak. Amen. Is this all right tonight? It's going over a whole lot better since I took my glasses off. I can tell you that. So I, I know it's outdated to say this, but we grew up constantly being reminded. You got to be careful what you put before your eyes. Constantly. Sometimes I think, do they got nothing else to preach about? And this is before we had phones and iPads. I, I mean, I remember them preaching about be careful the books you read. And I thought, as a kid, I thought, I'm safe. I hate reading. <laughs> right? Pastor, what's your point? My point is this. If you don't start intaking holy things, you will not project his holiness. Amen. Did, is that all? Did, did I make that? I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not, I mean, you work out your own salvation with fear and trouble. I'm not coming into your house and going through your DVD collection. I'm not going through your internet history. I'm not going to do, I can't do that. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to. I don't want to. I don't want to know your business that much. You take care of that. That's between you and God. You need to be able to pray. And then whatever is here, not break your connection with God. That makes sense. And there will be some things that will offend your spirit and may not even be that bad. And I'm going to tell you something. If you can participate in something or whatever and it not grieve the Holy Ghost, then you need to be nervous. Oh, God, touch my heart. Touch my spirit. Amen? Praise God. Let, let, me, let me get ready to close. I'm going to, I'm going to use a couple of stories. Uh, one was told by uh, Bishop N.A. Urshan, and he told uh, the story about a young man who came to the Lord and was delivered instantly from alcohol. God had brought him deliverance. And all went well, he said, for several months. Everything. This young man was on fire for God, delivered from alcoholism. And uh, he went months just on fire for God. And then it came. Then it, he had been serving God a few months. And all of a sudden, he kind of just started letting up on his Bible reading and his prayer life. We know this because some years later, he told Brother Urshan this. And um, or obviously, you tell where I'm going with the story, but he backslide, he ended up telling this. And so his prayer life led up and his Bible reading led up. And then, up as it does in the upper Midwest, when winter hits, there's not a lot of construction jobs because it's, it's too cold. I mean, it's like the frozen tundra of Antarctica. You know, it's, you're not, you're not going to be out putting fence posts in in February in Nebraska, typically, all right? And so he was a construction worker. And rather than get uh, an end-time, part-time job, he thought, well, I made enough money through the, through the uh, spring and the summer and the fall 
I'm just going to take these two, next three or four months off, and I'm just going, you know. The problem was, rather than getting closer to God, he started falling into old habits. The more he fell out of a prayer life, the more he started, all of a sudden, he, his, he became idle. And like, like my mama used to say, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And his mind got idle, and he got bored. He got bored. And all of a sudden, he, he started going and connecting with friends he had severed the connection with because of their lifestyle. And he started going hanging out at places that God had convicted him of and delivered him from. And he initially said, I'm going to do it to be a witness. But look, you know, there's some places you just don't need to go be a witness, right? You don't need to go walk down some dark alley into a, a tavern just because they got good onion rings. Go to Burger King. All right, you, you don't need to be in the red light district at 2 a.m. because you're sharing the gospel. Other ways to do it. And, and so he began to, all of a sudden, he began to let down on his separation. He began to let down on his separation from the world and those friends that brought that appetite back to him. He began to attend worldly events, and, and before he knew it, all of a sudden, he had abandoned his prayer life completely. Then he, he abandoned church attendance because it started slacking off. And then it just, and, and, and the dangerous thing is when you miss church and don't miss church. It can be almost as bad as not missing church but not being there. Think about that. And then he just stopped coming. He totally, completely backslid, totally, completely went away from God he got back on the bottle, became a, uh, Brother Urshan worked with him, and he just could not get off the bottle, became a fall down drunk, never got sincere about living for God. In several years, uh, tragedy struck on a Christmas Eve when he was driving drunk and ended up tragically dying in a car wreck. And that fall came from when he just stopped praying a little bit. And he was no longer convicted to stay out of the places that God delivered him from. I, I, I don't want you to think, well, he told that story because he's trying to tell us we're all going to die. We are all going to die. The Lord don't come. It's funny how we don't, what can I do to not die? Nothing. I mean, avoid jumping off bridges and stuff. That'll help. But eventually, we're all going by the way of the grave. But this story turned tragic, not at the moment his car went out of control, and he died in the wreck. The tragedy began when he began to allow the appetite for worldliness. And I could, I could stand here for hours and tell you story after story with that same song that happens. But I want to end with this story. Brother Lucas, if you'll come. It's a story Brother Urchin also told going way back to the horse and buggy days. And he told the story... Uh, uh, that he was told from an old pastor back then of a man that had been gloriously delivered from the habit of being a fall-down fall drunk. And, uh, but even after he had been filled with the Holy Ghost, he had an insatiable appetite for whiskey. He just woke up every day and wanted that, that stinging taste of bourbon in his mouth, as he would say it. He wanted, he just craved it. And, and this, again, back in the horse and buggy days, late 1800s, early 1900s. And um, he just wanted whiskey every day. And every day he had to come into town. He worked at a shop back then on the main street. Everything was on a single main street. 
and he rode his horse into town. And uh, so the pastor asked him, he said, he said, well, tell me about your day. And, and he told him his day. He said, well, I get up, I come in and come into town and, and um, I hitch up my horse and I, I walk about a block away to my job and I go to, I go to work. And, and the pastor, knowing the little town, he said, about a block away, where, where do you hitch that horse up to? He goes, same place I've been hitching it up to for 15, 20 years. But where is it? He said, well, it's the most convenient place to, to hitch up my horse. He said, but where is it? And the man just went, oh, in front of the saloon. That was it. Always open that time of the morning. The post, tie his horse up to while he went to work. And the pastor gave him some simple yet profound words of wisdom. He said, son, your problem is easily solved. Find yourself a new hitching post. And so he rode his horse just about four or five blocks past the saloon every morning. And he hitched his horse outside the feed store. And amazingly, that desire just started to wane because in front of his eyes every morning up to that point, he had to go to the same hitching post in front of the same place that would stir up his appetite that he had had for years and succumbed to in his life. What I'm trying to say to you is maybe you need to find yourself a new hitching post. If you're struggling with the same old thing that you're not able to overcome, maybe you need to find yourself a new hitching post so you can overcome that desire. The Old Testament tells us a story in the history of Israel of the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are a type of the flesh in the Bible. And they fought against the Israelites on their pilgrimage. They were a constant nemesis. They were a thorn in the flesh of the nation of Israel. And finally, the prophet Samuel gave a commandment to King Saul. He said, the Lord's going to send you up to battle against the Amalekites flesh, carnality. And he said, the Lord said you're going to win, but he wants you to kill every living thing of the Amalekites. And so Saul did as Samuel had commanded. He went to battle against the Amalekites with the exception of one thing. The prophet said, God said, slay utterly everything. But King Saul, even in his great victory, he only partially obeyed. And a half truth is still a whole lie. Half obedience is still complete disobedience. And Saul held on to some of the best cattle and some of the best sheep. The prophet Samuel came to, you remember the scripture, he came to Saul and he said, Saul, did you not do what God commanded of you to destroy utterly every living thing of the Amalekites? And he said, yeah. He said, why do I hear the bleeding of sheep and the moaning of cattle? Because of that act, God separated Saul and his lineage from the throne of Israel. What God was saying, listen to me, what God was saying is, if you cannot conquer your flesh, there's no place for you in my kingdom. You have got to learn to live separate 
amazing. God gives us this grace, unlike Saul. God cut him off after seemingly wanting in. It was more than that. But God gives us opportunity every day. If there's bleeding of sheep and moaning of cattle, God gives you an opportunity every day to lay the sword to it and obey him every day. His mercies are made new every morning. His compassions fail not. It's not too late to start committing to the Lord all that he has for you. Would you stand with me? It's dangerous to leave even a single sinful habit alive in your life. Only by a complete separation from the world can we separate ourselves unto God. Maybe here tonight you feel the compassion and the touch of the Lord in your life. And the Lord is saying, I hear the bleeding of sheep. I hear the mowing of cattle. I need you to give me that thing that you're holding on to. Living for God, living for God is very difficult when we only try to do it part-time. But living God is reward for God is rewarding and fulfilling when we're able to give ourselves completely unto the Lord and live for Him. I know, listen, I know this is old-fashioned. I, I get it. You're probably not going to walk five or ten miles in any direction from this church and hear this kind of teaching. And I don't say that boastfully. I, I, I'm saying that because Paul said in the last days they would heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, saying, tell me what I want to hear. And I hope you know that through the love of Christ, and I mean that, and the mercy of Almighty God, do I come to us and say, we've got to lay the sword to any sinful habit in our life if we're going to make Jesus the Lord of our life. We can't live, we can't keep one little lamb alive. We can't keep, we can't keep any of it. We've got to separate ourselves from it and commit and consecrate ourselves to come out from the world, to separate ourselves to daily conquer the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life and say, God, I want to be your child. I want to be your servant. I want to walk in communion with you. I want to walk in fellowship with you. That's why I started off this lesson tonight with that song. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Could we just take a moment tonight and lift our hands and would you pray this song with me? Would you pray those words, maybe in your own way? Would you begin to say that to the Lord? Lord, I want to be a sanctuary for your presence. We are an earthen vessel, but your spirit is that treasure that you have put within each and every one of us. Lord, I want to live holy. I want to live consecrated because that's what you desire of me. That's what you expect of me. That's what you want for me to be in fellowship with you. Hallelujah. Sanctuary for you. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy. 
rains give you, I'll be a That's it. Maybe there's something you need to put on the altar tonight. Maybe there's something you need to surrender to the Lord in this atmosphere of mercy and this drawing of His Spirit for the deepest calling unto deep. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's an attitude. Maybe, maybe there's something you need to put on the altar and say, God, tonight I commit this. I consecrate this to you. Hallelujah. Oh, there's such a beautiful touch of the Holy Ghost in this place right now. Yes, yes. Go ahead and surrender it to him. And Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with things I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Come on, sing that one more time. Invite him in. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.